You can be seated. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning and pray that you would lead and guide us as we open your word, Lord, and look to you, that you would speak. You would give us ears to, to hear, eyes to see the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning and thank you for joining us. Kids, you can be released for Children's Church. And if the rest would turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. So hopefully you have a scripture journal. If not, they're at our connect table right on the other side of these air walls. If you want to go grab one, these are great uh, to kind of just help you as you're reading through the scripture during the week or taking notes from the sermon or writing your own thoughts. Um, and, And really the heart of what we're studying here is that Philippians is, it's God's word, right? This is the word of God. It's useful to us, scripture says. It's helpful in, in understanding and in bringing conviction. If there's things in our life that we're going the wrong way, it, it will speak to that. It also leads us in, in, in what correction looks like. What does it look like then to coach and, and train us in righteousness to follow Jesus Christ? Like, this is what God's Word does in our life. And and last week we saw in in the first 11 verses that it was the fingerprints of God in the life of Paul and in the life of the church in Philippi. It was His fingerprints imprinted on their life, telling a story that was greater than their own to the glory of Jesus Christ. And we saw that people sharing together in in the grace of Jesus Christ, ultimately led to their joy and confidence in God. That this is what it means then to partner together in the gospel. So today, as we continue picking up in verse 12 through the end of the chapter, we're going to continue to see the fingerprints of God impressed on Paul's life. And what we're going to see is that it's not in spite of sufferings that God is glorified in the gospel advances, but it's actually through suffering that the gospel is going to advance. And I want you to to stop for a moment and understand the context that we're talking in, because on one side, like, do you hear the difference? One is to say it's not just in spite of the sufferings. It's not like, oh no, some bad things happen, but that doesn't hinder the gospel. It's not saying Paul was victorious and, and you're going to stand on the mountaintop of, of the broken challenges beneath you and you will be victorious. And, and it's not just a pep rally so that you leave here with this emotional encouragement, but something of no substance to go and face the realities of the world. What we're going to see and hear this morning is something much, much harder. It's going to say it's not in spite of sufferings that the gospel advances. It's going to say that it is through suffering that the gospel advances. And you might be like, I kind of want the other sermon, right? That one sounds better. And it does momentarily. But we know, we know when we leave this room and we walk outside these doors, there's challenges and difficulties facing you that aren't just going to go away. And the message this morning is meant to fortify your spirit, to equip your hands and heart with a reality and a truth that carries weight to face those challenges. That's today's message. And that God will be glorified in that. And so look with me, beginning in verse 12, as we jump in. Right there in, in, on the top of page 8, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
Again, see, this is why I love that illustration in my mind's eye of a fingerprint. If you imagine those lines and swirls of making up these words and letters being God's fingerprint on the life because they are laced with meaning. They contain such incredible meaning when we look at it. That the context, like I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me. What's been happening to Paul? See, there's a context here that not all the Christians are happy with Paul. They're all not saying, yes, like Paul's the greatest. Some are pretty frustrated with Paul. And they're frustrated with him because he knew that if he went to Jerusalem, he was going to be arrested. He's in prison because he's hard-headed, is what they were saying. And then... And we see this in Acts 25. Then when he's arrested, he appeals to the emperor? Well, now you've just put the church on the radar of Rome, and now not only are you in chains, but you're making it hard on all of us. Now all the Christians in the Roman world, we're now on the radar because of you. You think that you're out there proclaiming the gospel? You're not proclaiming the gospel. You're not advancing the gospel. You're hindering the gospel. The gospel's now in chains, and people are in hiding because of you. That's the context. And then you see Paul say, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me? Five simple words. What's happened to Paul? We know he's in prison, right? We know that he's in prison in in Rome, but it's been, I think he's referring to more than just being in prison. See, we know a part of his story from, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul there kind of expounds on these five words of, you know what has happened to me. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews, he said, 40 lashes minus one. Just so we put this in context, this is like a euphemism that we would use as beaten within an inch of your life. 40 lashes was the death penalty. To say 40 lashes minus one is like, I'm going to beat you right up until the point where you take your last breath and then let you live. Five times. Three times he's beaten with rods. One of those was in Philippi, the church that he's writing to. He was once stoned, not with marijuana, but with like hard rocks being thrown at him to end his life. Three times he was shipwrecked, a day and night adrift at the sea, like we hear those things. And it's like, what if I told you like, yeah, you know, we were on missionary journeys and three times our plane crashed. One time it crashed in the middle of the sea and I was just adrift out there. Like, this is what Paul's saying. It's like, you would kind of think twice before getting on a plane again, right? It's like every other time you seem to get on one, they crash. Like, but he's like three times shipwrecked, night and day adrift at the sea, frequent journeys. He was in danger constantly, rivers. He was in danger, robbers. He was in danger from his own people, the Jews, from non-Jews. He was in danger in the city, in the wilderness. It didn't matter where he traveled, to the suburbs or to the city. He was in danger. If he was in the sea, by air, by land, danger. There were people who claimed to be Christians who weren't. He was in danger from them. And, And then the work itself was hard. He was tired. He was hungry. These simple words that what has happened to me. Think about that for a moment. Paul isn't saying it's not a sob story. He's not trying to emotionally manipulate the audience to be in favor of him, like, oh, poor pitiful me. He doesn't even expound on that here. He's like, you know, some bad stuff happened. We don't need to get into it. 
but let me tell you what's really important, that what happened to me was really served to advance the gospel. It hasn't hindered the gospel. It's not like somehow the gospel was hindered because these bad things to happen. What Paul is about to say is these bad things were actually the means that God had to advance the gospel. That's the reality. Paul's challenging all that has been said before about him. All the, the, the detractors who were against Paul, who were saying, now the gospel is in change. You're in prison. Like, you can't preach. How's the gospel going to go forth when you're in prison in Rome, and now the church is facing hardship because of you? And he's like, all of this has advanced the gospel. It's not just that bad stuff happened to me and these things don't hinder the proclamation of the gospel. What Paul is about to say is that God's means of proclaiming the gospel, these hardships were how God chose to proclaim and advance the gospel. And he's going to go on to explain this. Look at verse 13. So that it has been known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Simple words, but dripping with meaning. Like, to put this in context, that imperial guard, 9,000 hand-selected soldiers who were received double pay. It's like, you're not just working for time and a half, you're working for two times. Now, you're given special duties, but one of those lowly duties is you were to be chained to an imperial prisoner. And it would alternate day by day, each new day. If we were all imperial soldiers, one day you would be chained to Paul, maybe the next day I would be chained to Paul. And this is what was happening day by day. And Paul's like, let me tell you how the gospel has advanced. Because Paul's perspective was not, oh, poor, pitiful me. How did I end up in prison? Like, this is terrible. Every single day I have to wake up, I have to go to the bathroom, and this person's chained to me. Right? He's like, I have a captive audience. <laughs> and every day it's somebody new. That's incredible. Let me tell you what happened. That this was God's means of sharing the gospel outside the church where it had not yet been heard, among these imperial soldiers in the household of Caesar. And this is where Paul, I really think it's like one of these mic drop moments, because at the very end of this letter in Philippians, the second to last verse, Paul makes this statement. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. It's like, boom. Do you hear it? Like, it's not like the gospel's in chains, the gospel's not going to advance. No, it has advanced. It was through chains that Caesar's household and these imperial soldiers came to hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was God's means of the gospel going out even further. And not only has it gone out further beyond what we ever dreamed or imagined, but it's also strengthened the church inside. And this is how he continues. In verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So do you see what's happening? Because of Paul's chains, not only is the gospel going out into the imperial guard and the other uh, prisoners who were there, but it's also strengthening the church internally. Not everyone. It says most. There's some who are fearful. There are some who have become silent. 
But for most, there's a confidence. The way that Paul handled his sufferings and the reality that Paul was suffering to begin with for proclaiming the gospel strengthened the church. Suffering was God's means of purchasing our salvation. We know this, right? Suffering was the means by which God purchased our salvation through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it says that we share in that. And it is often through our own suffering and hardship that the gospel is proclaimed. Early African church father Tertullian says this, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's true. In places where the gospel has not been named, it is often through the suffering and difficulties of missionaries throughout the centuries that have birthed the church. It was a Monday, January 9th, 1956, when news first hit the airways that five missionaries had gone missing in Ecuador. By Wednesday of that week, they had found the, the first body. By the end of the week, four of the five bodies were buried in the ground. God used the life and death of men like Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Pete Fleming, Ed McCauley to encourage and embolden thousands upon thousands of Christians. The words of Paul are not unique in history. They are a constant principle that the suffering of a few have emboldened many in their faith and in their testimony. But here's the thing, and even Paul sees a, a confident church is not always perfect. We see that, that there's even these mixed motives that as Paul goes on, as he's like, look, look, look what's happened. These things that have happened to me, they've advanced the gospel outside of the church. Caesar's household, they're coming to faith. It strengthened the church inside. And inside the church, it's still not perfect. There's still brokenness. There's competition. There's mixed motives. And yet the gospel continues to go forward. Look at, at verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from, from envy and, and rivalry, meaning that, that, that these are brothers. These aren't heretics. These aren't false believers. These people are not anti-Jesus. They're anti-Paul. They're preaching the gospel in an attempt to rub salt in the wounds of Paul as he's in prison. They're wanting to build their own platform. They want to have their own following. They're making it about them rather than about the gospel. And Paul's like, look, some indeed, it's true. They preach Christ, and they're doing it from a wrong position. They're envious. They see other pastors and other churches as rivals rather than brothers. But others, they preach from goodwill. They do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The, the former, those who are, are envious and see it as rivals, they proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but they're thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? How then should I respond? Should I defend myself? Should I stand up for myself? Like, what then? Paul asks, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, whether they're doing it out of a competitiveness or out of pure motives, I don't know. 
But this is what matters. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Period. He does not get caught up in all of that. Paul is not naive. It is not a perfect situation. Some preached to build their own platform, their own name in competition with others. But those out of goodwill is what Paul is commending. D.A. Carson in his book, Basics for Believers, says this. Paul's example is impressive and clear. He put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. Think of this. Like, let this statement ring in your mind. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. To everything you aspire to, put the advance of the gospel at the center. Let that be the goal. And he goes on. Not not our own comfort or bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and splendor of the gospel. As Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. Now, I love that quote, and I hate it. Right? Like, can we just be real for a moment? Like, there's a part of it that I'm like, yes. That's true. That doesn't make it easy. Yes, have the, the, the advance of the gospel be central. Yes. Laying down comfort? Okay. Our bruised feelings? It's a little harder. People hurt your feelings in ministry. That's hard. Okay. Reputation. But all I got is my name. Misunderstood motives. That one's hard. And then when they like repeat those misunderstood motives to others and they believe things about you that are untrue. And you kind of want to defend yourself and, and you're telling me to just not. That these are insignificant they kind of feel significant. (laughs) Like, right, if we're honest, they kind of feel significant to me. But it's helpful to be reminded they're not. In the context of what matters, and this is what we see in Paul, like, it's fine to say that when Paul says it, but when I have to say it, when it's my reputation, when I'm the one being misunderstood, when I'm the one being attacked, to just say, you know what, as long as they're preaching Christ, I'll take it. This is what Paul is saying. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your life. And the reality is this, as Paul is going to continue, that really the cost, if we're honest, it's more than our reputation. It's more than our name, and it's more than our comfort. It could be our very life. This is the reality that Paul wrestled with every day. As he was in prison, he didn't know if the word was going to come like, okay, today's the day you're going to be executed. Like Paul, in his mental space, you have to understand that he was wrestling with the reality that he could live or die at any moment. He wrestled with death being at his doorstep every morning. Is this the day? What does that mean if today's the day? 
What does it mean for my life? What does that mean for the gospel? What does it mean for the churches that I've led? It today is today, and it's from this context then that Paul continues. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What does he mean by that? This will turn out for my deliverance. Is Paul sitting in prison and he's like, hey, I know all things work out. If you're in the center of God's will, it's going to be fine. Never mind the shipwrecks and the floggings and the beatings and the hardships. As long as you're in God's will, you're safe. I pray you hear my sarcasm in that. He was anything but safe. Suffering was the means by which God advanced the gospel through the life of Paul and through many other Christians as well. Paul here is not talking about his deliverance from chains. This word in the original language is, would, it's actually salvation. If you, in theological terms, the study of salvation is soteriology. This word is soteria. There's other words that could have been chosen in the original language to mean escape from danger, escape from captivity, overcoming hardship. Those were words within the same family of words that could have been chosen, but he didn't choose those words. He chose a word that means salvation. He's saying, I'm sure of this. My hope is in the gospel. I will not be ashamed. My hope is that whether I live or die, Christ will will be victorious. That's my hope. That's my deliverance. There is salvation. Whatever comes, whatever may be, whatever difficulties I face, I know that when I die, I will stand face to face and behold my Savior. And I am confident of this. And we'll see this as it unfolds. We'll see that this is exactly what he is saying because he goes, look, help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed. I won't be put to shame because of these chains. I won't be put to shame because of the sufferings I endured. Here's what I want you to hear. It's as if Paul is saying, my sufferings are not in vain. They have been ordained by God and they hold a purpose. They are not an accident. The shipwrecks, the the beatings are not wasted in the hands of God. My my cancer, my depression, the, the challenges I face, the hardships I face, I will not be ashamed because they are not wasted in the hands of God. They hold a purpose. They hold a meaning. And I won't be put to shame. And I have a full courage. Look at as it continues. But that with full courage now as always. Full courage. Courage, not just that you're going to stand victorious over them, but that God will be present with you, that he has ordained them, that he is using them, that that our sufferings hold a purpose for the glory of God. And that I can go through that with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And whether that is in life or death. Do you see the deliverance Paul's talking about? He's not talking about physical chains. 
He's talking about the spiritual reality of he is free from the bondage of sin. He is, the gospel will go forth. The gospel will win whether he lives or dies. That doesn't matter. The gospel wins. His salvation is secure. His confidence, he will not be ashamed. Every moment of his life holds a purpose in the hands of God. Christ will be honored in his body. And he continues and and he extrapolates on this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Words I silently pray every time I get on a plane. They're kind of like my ships. (laughs) I don't understand how they work and I don't know if they're going to stay in the air and land safely. But think of these words. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. When we contemplate that this is a man who stared death in the face every single morning. And he's like, I've thought about it. And if I get to live another day, then I'm going to proclaim Christ. And if I die, then I get to see him face to face. Which is better? This is what he says. If I'm in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I get to live another day, then I'm going to get a new soldier chained to me. I'm going to share the gospel with them. This is awesome. If I get out of these chains, then I'm going to go and I'm going to strengthen the church and I get to preach to you because maybe that's what you need. This is how he goes on. It means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which, which should I choose? I, I don't know. I can't make that decision. I cannot tell, he says. I'm hard-pressed between the two. It's a difficult thought. My desire is actually to depart, to be with Christ, to see him face to face. That makes sense, doesn't it? Life is hard. He's gone through a lot. He's like, if I die, I get to see my Savior face to face in that moment. Yet, why would I say no to that? My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far, far better. But, but to remain in the flesh, maybe that's necessary on your account. And, and I'm convinced of this. I know that, that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glorify in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Do you see how Paul's wrestling with this? Hear me, brothers. You know what's happened, and it's all been to advance the gospel. Inside the church, outside the church, God's using it. Suffering is not wasted in the hands of God. And even if it cost me my life, I will not be ashamed. In Paul's closing words, I think it forms for us three applications. What do we do with this? This isn't like the message, like I said, of this rah, rah, like, yes, we're going to overcome. Our challenges are beneath us. It's more like, oh, maybe the challenges in front of us are not obstacles to our faith but they are the very opportunity and means by which God will glorify himself through my life. What if as you think through and as you take a moment, what do you see in your life that that are your own present challenges, sufferings? What do you see as like, man, if I could just remove these obstacles from my life, man, my, my faith would flourish. I'd be good, man. The gospel would go out. If I just had this. 
But what if those very challenges is the opportunity and means by which God wants to and plans to advance the gospel in your life? What do we do with that? And Paul then turns and he begins to talk to the church in three specific ways, beginning in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think that's the first. Let your life be worthy of Jesus. Let the way you live, let the way you speak, do you live for your own glory? Or, or for the glory of Christ? A, a quote I, I almost put up here, and I didn't know if I was going to use, was Tortillian, also had this other quote. That's brutal. He said, if you only live for the benefit of yourself, then you do the world a benefit when you die. And I'm like, that's hard. <laughs> but look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own. This is not about you. It's not about your platform. It's not about your name. It's not about your influence. It's not about how great you are. It's not about your comfort and you having everything you want. You have been bought with a price. That price was the blood of Jesus Christ that he purchased with his suffering. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in the things your hands find to do. Glorify God in the things that, that your eyes seek to meditate on. Glorify God in the words you speak, in the things you do, in the places you go. You have been bought with a price. Let your life then be for the glory of Jesus Christ and not your own. This is the, the call. This is the challenge. Let your life be worthy of Jesus in the gospel of Jesus Christ. How? How do we do that? Like There's, there's practical realities here, but then, then it continues. So whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, that I may hear that you are standing firm, standing together as a church. Standing together as one body, in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not in fear of anything. You want to live in a manner worthy of Christ? Then, then be one, be unified, church. Stand together in the faith. Stand shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, contending for the faith, reminding ourselves of the gospel, reminding ourselves that it's not for our own comfort, it's not for our own namesake, it's for the name and glory of Jesus Christ. Let us contend for that. Let us stand together in that. This is what Paul is calling Philippi in how to respond. And then he says, to suffer together. <clears throat> for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. These feel like strange words in our cultural context. Don't they? 
They don't feel like words that you often see put on mugs or social media posts that are meant to brighten your day. Like, you know, like, you're not only called to believe in Christ. You're not only called to that. You're also called to experience his sufferings. Enjoy your cup of coffee. Have a good day. But if we're honest, we feel that, don't we? As much as we would love to just, oh, all the the bad things go away and then everything will be great, we realize that we have to walk through difficulties, that God ordains suffering. I want to close with a story of a man named Peter O'Brien. He was a a man who would later become a, a missionary theologian. But when he was growing up, he was not, his, his parents weren't believers. He wasn't a believer. And, and they had this elderly neighbor who was simple but sincere. She came down with this incurable disease and it caused her great suffering. But the way that she endured that suffering and continued to share the gospel with the, the O'Brien family made a, a significant impact on Peter's mom. And, and ultimately, humanly speaking, it was this elderly lady's journey through suffering and her testimony that led his mother to the Lord. His father then came to Christ and God used then his parents to, to lead him to Christ. He would go on to seminary and, and get a PhD. He would then go on to, to India for many years proclaiming the gospel. He then went to Australia to, to teach and to write several extraordinary commentaries. Now I want you to imagine this for a moment. What if God had come to that old lady and gave her a choice? And said, here's the thing. Would you be willing to suffer for me every day in physical pain, knowing that your pain would produce countless believers in India? That it would train up pastors and Christians for decades and more, strengthening the church? Would you be willing? Like, which of us would say no to that? But the reality is, none of us get that choice. God doesn't come to us with that question. We don't know or see what our sufferings are producing. We don't see the fruit of it in this life. When we're in the middle of our sufferings, we don't know what's going to happen. But we have to trust that God is sovereign. And that our suffering is not in vain. And as we keep our eyes on Christ, that we would walk with faith and joy. With the desire to see God use even our hardest difficulties, our hardest challenges for his glory. So what obstacles stand in front of you today? What challenges are you facing that you're like, man, if this would just go away? And could you change your perspective and begin to ask the question, God, how might you use this for your glory? Change my heart 
If you're not changing my situation, change my heart so that I live for your glory in the midst of this to glorify your name. Let's pray. Thank you.